All right, so you've got a job to do now. You've got friends, you have family, neighbors, co-workers. They need to hear about what's happening at Emmanuel. They need to know that this is a great season. If they're looking to come out of COVID, get out of their basements and shutdowns and get back and get engaged into life, this is the place for them. And so if you wouldn't mind, if you haven't already, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And we're going to be reminded today of some things that we cannot allow to happen. All right? These are things we cannot allow to happen after we read this passage. This is what Jesus said. Uh, this is uh, according to Paul. Uh, this is what Jesus did uh, when he gave gifts to the church. First of all, in verse 11, he gave some people in the church to be apostles. And he gave some people to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, and for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Into a complete person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we should no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and by the craftiness with deceitful scheming. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ himself, from whom the whole body is joined together and connected by every joint and ligament as every part effectively does its work and grows, building itself up in love. Now, I, I would imagine that everybody who has been part of Emmanuel for any length of time has read this passage, you've heard this passage, and many of you maybe already have several of these verses memorized and committed to your heart, which, which is perfect, and we should. So today, I want to apply this scripture on Pastor Installation Sunday by looking at some things that saints do not allow their pastors and what saints do not allow other church leaders to do, all right? So yes, we're, we're celebrating Pastor Galen and Carly today, but my message is for all of you. And as I said earlier, if you're, if you're visiting or if you're new to Emmanuel Assembly, what I'm talking about today is is what we read in the New Testament written by Paul who knows a thing or two about planting and starting new churches. I mean, he started them all over the New Testament, right? All, all over, we see. And he knew what worked. And he knew about the difficult seasons that come, the attacks that come, the, the challenges. And so what he is reminding the saints in Ephesus, and of course then all of us today, is here's some things we really got to know about church. And if you were raised outside of a church, you didn't go to church. Or if you were raised in a, in a, in a faith tradition that wasn't fully embracing the New Testament, some of this might come as a surprise to you. But we are sensing with the brokenness that we see all around us in Ohio that there's a sleeping giant called the Church of Jesus Christ that needs to wake up, right? And part of it, part of it has been that there are truths, there are models for us in Scripture that we, re we read, we read, we read, and sometimes we, we just become blind to them, right? You've, you've seen that, that uh, 
detergent commercial about becoming nose blind. Sometimes you don't know the smells in your own house because you're, you're used to it over the time, but it's there. Well, we don't want to become blind to what Scripture is trying to tell us. All right, so let's, let's unpack four things. And the first one is we cannot allow pastors to do all the work by themselves. That's what this passage is telling us. If we want this sleeping giant called the Church of Jesus Christ to wake up and to be more impactful in a world, in a community that is so broken, then we cannot allow pastors to do all the work by themselves. What does it say there in verse 11? Jesus gave to churches some people to be pastors, and that's the only gift he gave to churches. Amen? No, that's not what it says. I noticed, uh, Vicki, that I now qualify, as of last week, I qualify, this month, I qualify for the 55-plus luncheon. It's October 14th, right? So I'm going to visit that. Well, one of the things I'm noticing is my eyes are going, right? So let me reread this again. No, that's not what it says. He gave some to be apostles. But that ended in the year that he ascended to heaven. Nope, that's not what it says. Jesus gives apostles, and he still gives apostles to the church. Jesus gave prophets, and he still gives prophets. Jesus gave evangelists, and he still gives evangelists. Jesus gave teachers, and he still gives teachers. And he gave pastors, and he still gives pastors today. We can't allow the misuse and frankly, here's where this comes from. Uh, within the first century or two, after Jesus ascended from heaven, there began to be a teaching and a model. And, and by the third century, the emperor Constantine and, and the beginnings of the Catholic Church established a model where there would be one priest for a whole parish. That model is still in place today. And that began to be embraced, and, and throughout the centuries, even in 17th and 18th century Europe, even when there was the Reformation and a revolt uh, away from much of the Catholic teaching into the beginning of the Protestant movement with, with, uh, with John Wesley and with Martin Luther, we still maintained this congregational model, even though we didn't call the person a priest, we still had one person largely in charge, responsible for all this group of people. And when you go back to the New Testament, you don't see that model proclaimed. It is, it is a team approach. There was never a thought in the New Testament that you could place all the responsibilities for leading a congregation upon the shoulders of one person. That is a man-made institution and we are desperately trying, it's in our uh, fundamental truths, it's in our uh, doctrinal statements about our position papers in the Assemblies of God. We support these five-fold ministries that you read about in Ephesians chapter 4, and there are other ministries as well, like gifts of helps. There are administrations. God did not put all the responsibility for a local congregation upon the shoulders of one person. It takes a team. It takes a team. So we cannot allow, and I, I don't mean by any means to insinuate that that's what's happening here, but if there are ever hints of it, and, and here's what happens. I'm being very practical with you now. 
Well, we, we call people pastors, and so we can begin to say, well, those are the cheerleaders, right? That, that's what they're supposed to do down there and raise their arms, but we don't really have to get in the game, right? But, but you know what happens when a team is on fire, right? It doesn't matter what the cheerleader is going to do because everybody in the stands is, is ready to do it too, right? They're all doing it. And, and it's the good teams, the effective teams, where clearly everybody is doing everything. they. If you would allow us, refs, to come down there on the field, we would come down there because we are all in this together. So, so in those moments when you feel like, wow, and again, this is not just for Pastor Galen, but it's, it's for any leaders in the church. When you feel like there's something something that could be done so that the pastor why are they doing that i could do that we have leaders who could do that pastor how can i lighten your load because because churches require that things get done i remember when when i worked uh, down the road at parma bethel we had a we had a chart on the hallway i'll never forget it because i've never seen one before but it would have um the names of all the pastors across the top the associate pastors and everything. And then it would have um, days of the week, and it would have uh, names of people in the hospital. And it was a great system for making sure that people who were in the hospital could be visited. And, uh, and that was a real introduction to me uh, as a young man about how to get things done. But all these years later, I recognized the reality that there are some people, some families in hospitals I know that would never happen here, but it's true that it happens somewhere, and that is unless the pastor visits them, and of course COVID has flipped everything on its head with pastoral visits and access to hospitals, but there are families who feel like that church never did anything for me when I was in the hospital because the pastor wasn't there, but what happened is there were deacons who came. And there were other men and women from the church who came, but because the pastor didn't come, right? And again, where would we find that in Scripture, right? There's no support for that kind of mentality that it has to be that one person who comes because we have all been equipped. That's what verse 12 says. Number one, it's not just pastors, but number two, God gave us apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Verse 12 for the equipping of the saints so the pastors could do all the work of service and ministry by themselves. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. That's not what it says. God gives us ministers, all kinds of ministers and leaders, and, and he's calling you and already has called many of you to do that. And the role of ministers, the role of leaders, is to equip the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry. And so I will just tell you, it's, it's easy to say this because I get to hop in my car today and drive home. And I don't have, Galen has to deal with what I say, right? I, I get to go home. <laughs> but it's the truth. Ch churches would never say this. They would never put it in their governance documents like their bylaws. But it exists nonetheless. The churches who want to stay at a certain size, the churches who want their impact to be limited to a certain scope, those churches will heap all kinds of expectations on the pastor, on the paid staff, 
on the select group of leaders, and there will be a ceiling that they will hit every single time. And why is that? Because even though you have Clark Kent here, and even though when he takes off his glasses, he turns into Superman, there is only so much that one person can do. And there's only so much that three people can do and five people. But the flip side is so awesome, and that's what Paul is trying to tell us. When we all embrace the calling that God has placed on all of us, and we allow the leaders, the pastors, to equip us, to train us, man, there is no limit to what a manual assembly can do. When every man and woman walking in these doors understands that they are called, that they have a ministry, that God has called them for this time and this purpose, just like he has called their pastors, watch out Cleveland, because here's a church that's going to know no limits to what God has called them to do. Don't allow the pastors to do all the work of the ministry by themselves. You promise? Do you promise me? I will hunt you down. I know where you live. I can come back here. Thank you. I'm kind of teasing. Kind of. All right. Number two. Saints don't allow pastors to treat them like children. Saints don't allow pastors to treat them like children. What does verse 13 say? So that we can come to the unity of the faith all of us, that we can grow up to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a complete man, to a complete woman, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus gave us gifts on purpose so that we would grow up, so that we would mature, that we would develop into the men and the women that God has called us to be. We don't want to be treated like kids. Now, on, on the one hand, it can feel good to have that responsibility removed, but we don't remain children. I had another, another nephew, a younger nephew in Columbus, not too long ago, and uh, he, his world was rocked as the only child. And uh, we have tissues here at the front for any older siblings uh, for whom this brings up issues, all right? I uh, just want you to know, I, I feel for you. I'm the baby. Uh, I want you to get over it, but anyways, I realize some people, uh, it's an issue. So here was the uh, oldest child, this little boy, so cute. Life was going along so well. And then all of a sudden, without anyone asking him what he thought about it, his mom and dad introduced a younger baby into the family, and now longer, and so he was dethroned uh, from his position of having the whole world revolve around him. And it wasn't just a sibling, it was a sister. And so now all of a sudden, all the cameras are flashing for her, and all the attention is on her. And when she had her first birthday party not too long ago, uh, it, was, it was a feat, uh, not only in COVID, to, to get something arranged where people could still socially distance. Uh, that was, of course, beyond their comprehension as toddlers. But here she sat in her, her chair, the cake, the candles, the music, the balloons, the mountains of presents, all for this one-year-old baby girl, this younger sibling. So it came time then for the group photo, like we just did. And of course, you need to have the family in the photo. So the cousins all came up. Everybody's so happy. They're blowing their streamers and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. But baby brother, who's about two years older, was beside himself. He wanted nothing to do with celebrating the arrival of this spotlight stealer named a sister. 
And so he literally had to be drugged, kicking and screaming. And the, you know, the picture is just classic. You've had some of those in your family where everybody's smiling, but they're just like, and, and that was the baby brother. He wanted to remain a child. He wants to remain the only child, and he wants his way, right? We can't allow pastors to treat us like that. We, we, we have to enjoy when they, when they prod us to become more mature, when, when they're teaching and their example, and sometimes they're pushing, like a parent, helps us to mature, to become unified in the faith. Folks, John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, makes it unequivocally clear what we see happening in the church world today is not what Jesus had in mind in terms of our unifi unified approach. Jesus prayed in the moments before he was arrested and then falsely judged and crucified. His prayers in those moments, unbelievably, were for you and for me. They weren't about him. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, what a Savior. And he was praying for you and for me God, would you make them one, just like you and I have become one. We are one. Would you make your children one? And, and he wasn't just praying for, for Matthew and, and Peter. He was praying for all of us because he said, not just these, but he said right there in John chapter 17, for all those who will join their ranks over time as, as this testimony and witness is spread, Father, make your children one, just as you and I are one. Unfortunately, I'm not the only one in this room today who has plenty of evidence that the body of Christ is struggling to remain as unified as we should be, right? And that's because we all have our pet peeves and our, our favorite uh, issues, and if people don't, don't agree with me on everything, then they're going to hear about it. And uh, I, I have a keyboard now, so watch out. I can go on social media. I can go on Twitter. And unfortunately, we see this on cable news. And I'm not talking about the world. Of course, the world is doing what the world's going to do, which is chaos. But even believers, and, and as a minister, I apologize. There are ministers, there are leaders of the church who are modeling for us such unhealthy practices where they're attacking other believers on, on the news, on on social media platforms, right? That's not helping our unity. Now, now, well, what are you saying then, Pastor Wooten? Are we supposed to just close our eyes when we know some other believer is, is misbehaving and missing the mark and leading other people astray? Of course not, right? Jesus told us how to do that, and it was to go to them directly. How, what a novel approach. And again, I know this has never happened at Emmanuel. I'm just saying, right? I've heard about I've heard stories of other places. If you and I have a disagreement, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, if a brother offends you, go immediately to your laptop and let them have it on Facebook, right? That's what Jesus said. Nope. He said, go to that person directly. Go to them directly. Why? Why would that be such a smart approach if we want to be unified? Let's just say Galen and I had had an offense, all right, and I had done something that offended him, right? Have you found what I have found? 
most of the time in the church, this happened to me here in Cleveland, it happened in Columbus, it happens all over. People will come up to me and say, John, I am so sorry. What I said a month ago, or do you remember last year? It's so embarrassing for me now. And I did this or I said this, and I think it's my age or what. I, I promise you, 90, 90% of the time, it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't remember that. I apologize if you really thought it was a big deal, and I apparently didn't think about it. I apologize. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what it is, right? So what I'm trying to say is most of the time I have found that disagreements between brothers and sisters aren't really disagreements as much as they are misunderstandings, right? That we thought the person said that, number one, maybe they re didn't really say that, and we find out what they said. We're like, oh, well, that's a different story. Or maybe they did say it, but they said it because of information they had that was incomplete or incorrect. And once we help them understand, they're like, oh, I can't believe I said, I'm so sorry, right? They're misunderstandings much of the time, right? Very rarely is somebody actually trying to attack you on purpose. But what can happen is if I get offended about Galen or vice versa or anybody here in this room, when we go to somebody else instantly, we have robbed the two of us from the privilege and the opportunity to just solve it between ourselves, right? And so now that issue has now been magnified. It's been amplified. Because maybe I did misunderstand what Galen said, but now I brought somebody else into the picture. Instead of going to Galen, right, I went to Pedro. I went to somebody else, and now Galen has an offense. Well, why didn't you just come to me? Now this person knows, and and I know that would never happen, but sometimes when you tell that other person, they don't always kind of keep it quiet. And so then it can spread to a third and a fourth. And that's why Jesus so wisely said, go to the person first, right? Get this thing resolved. And so, yes, there are big issues sometimes between Christians. But before we would ever start to harbor something in our heart or complain about them, God help us to follow the instructions that Jesus gave us, which is go to that person First, don't get the pastor involved. You're a believer. They're a believer. Go to them first. Now, there are, of course, then some safeguards. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if that doesn't work, sure, go bring somebody else in. And they're not the judge. They're a witness. Like you've seen court TV, right? There's a difference between what the judge does and what the witness does, right? So don't bring a judge in to rule in your favor, right? That's not what Jesus said. Just bring somebody else who, who's now a witness. So if this escalates down the road, there's no question that you did what you were supposed to do. You brought somebody else, a neutral party, a trusted person, a spiritual leader into the, into the situation, and now there's no, there's no room to debate. And just doing that will help that other person, if they didn't realize it the first time, now they're going to say, oh, this is kind of serious. Okay. Well, let me think about it. And many times, just having that other person, they don't even have to say a word. They're just there. That, in and of itself, will solve 99% of all the disagreements between believers. But occasionally, there is an issue where a person is being led by an opposing spirit, or they've got something that is just wrongly wired inside. And if it escalates to that point, then yes, we can bring the church leaders involved, and you have been involved in situations, as have I, over the years where you see the church take it to that highest level, and we say, look, brother, sister, you're causing too much division, and you're not showing any signs of remorse. We can't have you be part of our fellowship anymore, and this is according to Scripture, not because we don't love you, but because we do love you, 
And Jesus tells us we need to get your attention, and so here's how we're going to do it. You're not welcome to worship here with us anymore, but we hope that that'll get rectified because you'll, you'll have a heart-to-heart with Jesus and, and repent because we want you here, but right now we can't have you here, right? So there's a process in place. Oh, if we would follow that. But you see, what the world has done is they have invited us. They have coaxed us. They have given us clicks and rewards for just going ahead right now and spewing that division. And sometimes it happens on social media, but because we see it happen so often, it can happen in the hallways of the church. It can happen on the phone. I'm telling you, the unity of the faith, the unity of the faith, certainly as we creep closer to the end times, many of us, like me, believe we're, how could Jesus possibly delay his return another day, right? (laughs) The closer we get, the more important it's going to be that we're unified. And how do we get unified? The prodigal son, right? There's that image of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And he came to his senses, and, and he's, he's in the pig barn feeding pigs and realizes even these pigs eat better than I do. So I need to go home. I, I made a big mistake. And here's what he said in the pig barn. He said, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell my dad what a mistake I was. What a mistake I, uh, I made. Please forgive me. Number two, please forgive me. And then thirdly, I have a plan for him. It will make it easy for my dad. I will tell him, I don't really want to be a son again. I, I just want to, I'll be a servant. i got a plan to work this all out, right? And so he came to himself, he made his plan, and then he walked home. And he was a long way from home, according to Jesus, who told the parable. And so can you imagine, after the arrogance of what you've done, the foolishness that you have spent your entire inheritance? I mean, all these things weighing on your mind as you're walking home. How many times would he have practiced that speech? Father, I've made a big mistake. Father, please forgive me. And would you let me be your servant? Okay. Father, I made a big mistake. Please forgive me. Would you let me be your servant? Father, I made a big mistake. Please forgive me. Would you let me be your servant? And then he gets home. And I love that passage just like you do. Because where is the father when his son crests the hill as he's about to walk up to the house? Is the father inside? Has he forgotten about the son's existence? (laughs) No way. Is he outside on the porch with his arms folded? (laughs) Hey, everybody, get a load of this. Look what the cat just drug in. Oh, this is going to be rich. Come watch this guy come crawl on his hands and his knees. Nope. That's what some people would do. That's what some fathers have done. That's not what our Heavenly Father does. Instead, the father was there on the front porch. He was looking out, and at the very moment that he saw the outline, oh, as a dad, as a mom, wouldn't you recognize your children? (laughs) As soon as he saw the outline coming over the hill, we don't know how old that father was, but he took off. He threw his sandals aside, and he made a sprint. Because when that child, when that lost one has made the decision to turn back home, you don't want to miss the moment. And God was not going to miss that moment. That father was not going to miss that moment. And he ran out and grabbed that son. And so the son was taken aback, but he remembered he'd been practicing his spiel. Okay, well, Father, I'm I'm, I'm so sorry. I I made a big mistake. Uh, Father, would you please forgive me? And then Father, and the father interrupted him. 
stop, stop. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a party. Hey, everybody, kill the fatted calf. Come on, this is going to be the biggest party. My son was lost, and my son has come home to me. He didn't want to hear about our plans for making things right. He didn't want to hear about the servant part. <laughs> he had no plans for that. He just wanted to see the son return and repent and come home. And that is your unifying story. And that is my unifying story. And I know the world is going to hell in a handbasket. That's what it looks like. And I know they have lost their minds. I know what you're seeing coming out of Washington, D.C., what you see on cable news, and what you see every day on social media. I know it's crazy. It is. But that doesn't change the fact that you and I have the same story, and that is where would we be without the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father? Father, I have sinned. My brothers and sisters, we have sinned. We thank you. We, we ask for forgiveness, and that right there is what unifies the body of Christ. We put away our pet peeves. We put away our issues. There's a place to deal with them, but in the body of Christ, we say nothing. There's no issues. There's no politics. There's no social or health concerns that are going to get between you and I staying unified. We are all sinners. None of us deserves to be forgiven, but Jesus has forgiven all of us. And on that truth, we can, we will, and we must be unified and draw closer to the cross because as we draw closer to the cross, Jesus draws us closer to one another. Don't allow pastors to treat us like children. We've got to be growing up. We've got to become unified. Thirdly, don't allow pastors to scratch our itching ears. Verse 14 says that. Let's, speaking of children, don't be children. Don't be tossed to and fro. Don't be carried away with this doctrine and that doctrine. Oh, look what that church is doing. Look what that minister said. Or I'm really upset about what that minister, you know. Don't worry about that. Don't, don't let the enemy scratch your itching ears. We all have itching ears from time to time. We need pastors who will keep us on track. We need apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors, the leaders of a church who've been called by God to fill those positions to help us to stay stable. And don't get caught off guard. Don't get drawn to the right. Don't get drawn to the left. But stay consistently desirous of God's truth. Don't go after false doctrine. As the, as the enemy realizes his time is coming to a close, the rise of false doctrine, according to Scripture, and you would say, if you've been paying attention, your own eyes have told you, your own ears have demonstrated for you that there is going to be, there already is, a rise of false teaching. Thank God he gives us leaders who will help us. And I will just say, even though I am superintendent of Ohio for the Assemblies of God, for which I'm very grateful, very honored. I love the Assemblies of God. It's the only church fellowship I've ever known my whole life in now 55 years. My mom and dad would not have gotten together. I would not be here today were it not for the Assemblies of God. That's how they got together. So yes, I have no apologies about being belonging to this fellowship. However, there are Assemblies of God people. There are Assemblies of God pastors. There are Assemblies of God churches who from time to time fall astray. It's just the truth. It's the truth of any denomination. 
And so what unites me, what, what gets my allegiance even more than the name, than the label, is a group of people who want to follow God's word, who want to base every decision on God's word. And my, my brother and my sister, that is my warning and my plea to you. In the years that, that come, the years that follow, make sure you yourself are, are training your ears to understand God's word and don't get sidetracked with false doctrine. It's not worth it. And thank God for leaders who will help us stay on that path. And then finally, don't allow pastors and church leaders to hold back the truth. What does verse 15 say? Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ himself. We can have and we do have ministries, churches, where pastors and other teachers are under so much pressure to not offend, to make the politically correct statement, right? To not ruffle feathers. It breaks my heart for, on a number of levels, but who it breaks my heart most for are the children, are the young people. Because if we choose to do what some denominations have done, and that is to do the dance and keep changing doctrine, keep making accommodations so that we feel like we are in line with where culture is headed as opposed to in line with what God's Word says, then what's going to happen for our children is they're never going to hear that this is the way to walk. This is the way to live. This is not the way, and it's very clear. And so my plea to those of you who are here today, and if we were to wind the clock back five years or 10 years or 30 years or whatever, and that would be a chapter in your life where you weren't fully serving the Lord, and maybe some of the decisions that you were involved in and, and the situations that you were in were very painful for you at the time, and of course now you've been set free and forgiven. Can I plead with you that you should be your pastor you should be the, the teacher's biggest cheerleaders for proclaiming the truth as is written in Scripture. Hey, pastor, don't worry about stepping on my toes. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. That's where I was five years ago. That's where I was 30 years ago. But don't worry about hurting me because I know the difference between darkness and light, and I am so grateful to be in the light. So, Pastor, please preach about marriage. Pastor, please preach about loving your wife and loving your husband. Please preach about drugs and alcohol. Please preach about all these things because I don't want children to miss out on what I needed when I was their age. That takes a mature group of people. And so this wasn't the first verse. This came after you got to grow up, right? <laughs> so if we're going to be children, then we can send an email to the pastor every time a message is steps on our toes. Now, hey, I, I just walked through that, right? If that's our reaction, that's, that's kind of an indicator we've got some maturing to do. Because mature men and women are able to process this and say, you know what? Number one, that's the enemy. If I feel guilt or condemnation whenever that topic is raised, that's the enemy. That's not Jesus. It's the enemy who's trying to make me feel bad about that when God has set me free. That's no longer who I am. God doesn't even remember. God doesn't even remember that about me. That's the enemy, right? That's not God. And so, so thank you, Emmanuel Assembly, 
I know this is the way you have been, and I, I pray it's the way you will always be, to value, to place a priority on hearing the Word of God, even when it steps on your toes. And folks, let me just say, some of you cannot see these puppies up here, but these are size 15. My toes get stepped on a lot. I mean, they just, they just, they're, they're out there, right? Can I, can I encourage, what, is, what does Bible say about God's discipline? God disciplines those who have really irritated him. Now, boy, as a preacher, I'm really messing up some of these scriptures today, aren't I? God disciplines, he chastens those whom he loves, right? It's a loving mother, a loving father who comes along and, and smacks the hand of a toddler that's sticking the finger in the electrical outlets, Right? In fact, it would be the opposite. If you would see a mom or dad laugh, <laughs> isn't that so cute? Take pictures and put them on social media when their kids are, you would say, you're crazy. You can't do that. They would call social services on you, right? So we get it, and the same applies to our spiritual walk. When God uses Pastor Galen, when he uses teachers here to highlight scriptures that challenge us, that, that shine a mirror on some of our own behaviors, yeah, okay, go ahead for a few seconds and grimace. Ah, that hurts. But then don't let that remain a grimace. Turn it into a smile. God loves us so much that he's trying to get our attention so we don't stick that finger all the way in the socket and then really regret it, right? What a blessing. Don't allow pastors to do all the work by themselves. Don't allow pastors to treat you like children. Don't allow pastors to scratch your itching ears just to please you and and don't allow pastors to hold back on the truth that's spoken in love. If we'll do this, if we'll do this, then I believe that we're going to enjoy some of the best days at Emmanuel Assembly in the months and the years ahead. You are not going to want to miss it. We're coming back here to Cleveland on Tuesday night. We're going to gather like we do every year with pastors and, and church leaders in the area and uh, focus on how we're going to reach this state for Jesus Christ. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart how thankful I am Galen, personally, and Carly, uh, you all have been right in there uh, for the last several years, rolling your sleeves up, encouraging leaders here in Cleveland, encouraging leaders across the state, and it does my heart so good. I love Mike and Pam. They are rooting you on. They have been a big part of, of getting us together and what we're trying to do to reach this state for Jesus Christ, and I could not be more excited for the months and the years ahead should Jesus tarry for all that God is going to accomplish through Emmanuel Assembly as together your leaders and all of us embrace the calling of God that he has placed for just this time and just this purpose for just this group of people because he has been planning for this from before the foundations of the world. That's what his word says. Do you believe that? Would you stand with me and pray? Father, thank you so much for the excitement of a new chapter. It's full of uh, challenges. It's full of opportunities. Uh, but we know, Lord God, that this is right. It's right uh, in your eyes that we would honor and recognize uh, what has happened here. The story of too many pastors and other leaders in churches is that, is that they're discouraged, that they feel like they're doing it all by themselves. And I pray, God, that would just never be the story at Emmanuel Assembly, and that a year from now and 10 years from now, it would be the bell's constant testimony of what a joy it's been to lead a group of people who are all in, who are doing this as a team. God, I pray your anointing, your protection uh, in the days ahead, that the vision that's unfolding, the unity of the saints and the leaders here, that you would have your perfect way and that the enemy's efforts to discourage, to distract, 
would be turned away at every opportunity because your favor, your anointing is resting so heavily here. We thank you for it. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.